0: Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now here's today's episode, so let's get started. We, as one of the longest running podcasts on the air, have discovered that some of our most avid listeners are entrepreneurs who have made the transition from being a solopreneurial venture to being a leveraged organization with employees and contractors, and find themselves in a place where they have one to five employees or contractors, and gross revenues upwards of $250,000 a year. Usually right around that time is, in our experience, when things really start to take off, and they start to see rapid growth. And that can be a good thing, or that could be a real challenge. So what we are going to cover today is how to combine rapid growth with long-term success. And to guide us down that path, you're going to love the guest we have for you today. You're just going to absolutely enjoy this episode so much. So get out a pad of paper and two pens to capture those aha moments. His name is Ryan Baker, and he's the founder of Kingly Consulting which is a growth strategy firm dedicated to helping Inc. 5,000 companies avoid the failure, the two-thirds of them experience within five to eight years of making the list. That's right. Uh, If you're in the Inc. 5,000, you have a 66.6 chance of failing within half a decade or so of being on that prestigious list. The strategy that Ryan is going to share with us is based on behavioral analysis and serves to help company leaders provide cohesive direction and enhance company culture, which in turn increases employee engagement and loyalty. Ryan believes in bringing the human factor back into business, particularly in employee relations. This is going to be, as I said, so much fun, so informative. Ryan Baker, come on in. The weather's fine.
1: Hey, Adam. Great to be here. Thanks.
0: You bet. You bet. Bye now. We have some people who are listening, who are leaning in. They have a separate browser tab open. They're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles, discovering who is this Ryan Baker guy and what's up with this Kingly Consulting. So they're checking out your website. They're checking you out. So what we'd like to do is help them along. Tell us, Ryan, a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, making a difference for your community, market, and audience.
1: Yeah, well, man, it's, it's been a, an odd journey, to be sure. Um, I, I started out um, mostly in the, in the marketing world, really, um, pursuing a lot of uh, experience and, and knowledge in, in how to run an online business, and um, most of what I learned pointed me toward working with a, a digital marketing agency, um, and I and, um, actually got some experience consulting Uh, with a a local company that kind of had national franchises uh, around the, uh, the country. And um, I just, I fell in love with, with consulting with them. And, and so um, I, I not too long after left the agency and um, began to consult uh, actually with digital marketing agencies um, on running the, the PPC side of their business, found a, a local agency that, that focused on SEO, which is much more a long-term strategy. And um, I uh, really had a little more experience and, and knowledge in the, the Google ads side of things and Facebook ads and um, the, the quick results kind of quick start focus. And so um, came in and, and um, looked at, at people, processes, performance, and, and just kind of overhauled the whole side of the company focused on PPC and, and um, over time started doing that for, uh, for other agencies. And that's been my primary focus. But I've had the, uh, the privilege of working with some Inc. 5000 companies as well that, um, as, as you explained in the, uh, the bio earlier, um, have a, a 66.6% failure rate. Um, it's, it's astounding. They're on top of the world and, and, you know, less than a decade later, they're gone. Nobody yeah. knows anything about them. So, um, I really wanted to, to find what it is that, that costs this, you know, what could possibly take a company that's doing so well and, um, you know, put them six feet under. And, um, I, I found a lot of common trends and, um, in my work, I, I found it was a lot more um, chaotic behind the scenes than it tends to look on the surface, and uh, most of that, uh, most of that tension tended to to lie in the the people and the relationships and the communication. And so, the uh, the majority of my focus in in working with these companies and with um, marketing agencies has been around people and their communication and their relationships and, uh, you know, how their minds work. And, and um, it's, it's really been a, a, fa- a fascinating and, and fulfilling work for me.
0: Yeah, I can sense that very much so. And I can tell you that I've had a similar thing and I've seen a lot of folks go through this, my background educationally, and in terms of my vocational brilliance and passion, where it first came from, is in the areas of training and development. That's what I pursued my MBA for. My concentration was in human resource management with an emphasis on human development, organizational development, and process development, all the things that have to do with employee satisfaction and such. And after I uh, turned my side hustle into a full-time thing, I got... (sighs) into the vortex of being a marketing guy because I had clients and opportunities throwing themselves at me because I knew a thing or two about how autoresponders worked. Made a lot of money, made a lot of great clients, some of which are still with me to this day, but I can tell you it wasn't my brilliance and it wasn't my passion. Through my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, I've been very excited to return to some of these, these roots when it comes to uh, this work with company culture and helping teams work together. And even through my digital marketing, no, not the digital marketing agency, my new media agency rather. I don't know why I said digital marketing, in-demand expert, we focus on the communication aspect of how to become an in-demand expert on podcasts, live streams, webinars, and radio shows. So it's been sort of a journey for me too, and I've been very happy to circle back to it. And that's one of the things that excited me about having you on the show, Ryan. So we are going to cover rapid growth, and as I alluded to just a moment ago, and the reason why I shared my story back to you is when I became a got sucked in, became a marketing guy. Boy, rapid growth! You know, I look back, and last year, 2018, I look back. And I realized that I had been in business for 15 years and I'd never actually launched anything because I'd always had it served to me on a silver platter and I just went where the money was. So not only was the growth rapid, but I wasn't even taking any ownership and control of it. So what in your estimation, Ryan, and your experience working with organizations are the most common problems that you see in companies that go into rapid growth mode?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that um, a lot of it is, is kind of something that you touched on. Um, it tends to be a, a more reactive mindset. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of going with what the mar- where the market is leading you. And um, you have all of these opportunities and maybe you don't have a, a clear enough strategy to refine your decision-making process. So you take on too many initiatives um, without really really any clear f- way of filtering them down to what's going to be the most effective, maybe maybe you're ROI positive on all of them, which is unlikely, um, but but maybe you're bringing in money with all of them. But you know, by dialing back and focusing on just you know one or two, could you exponentially grow in those initiatives as opposed to? All of them. Generally, um, with initiatives in particular, um, you should be focusing on, you know, if I'm taking on one more initiative, what am I saying no to? What am I getting rid of? Um, how does this fall in line with the the values and, and mission and vision of our company um, and, and our leadership as opposed to just looking at, at you know, where the money could be? And uh, and that's one one problem that I see often, um, another is generally not paying enough attention or, or being intentional enough uh, in designing a culture. Um, you know, hiring the right people has a lot more to do with how they interact with each other and, and um, the way that their minds work, how they're wired behaviorally. Um, and, and their values, than it does their actual skill set, you, you need that skill set in, in highly specialized roles, but um, all things being equal, you can find that skill set in, in large numbers of people more often than not. So finding people that are going to be a, a better fit for your company in terms of their values, their ability to communicate, their ability to, to work together, um, and, and to accept criticism or, or um, you know, swallow some humble pie every now and then, um, it's not always easy for, for any of us, really. Um, it's just important to, to have these, these soft skills or these, these kind of hidden things that don't always come out in interviews. As part of your internal structure, and then have strong communication and and feedback processes um, that go both ways, so that you can you can kind of avoid a company tearing itself apart from the inside and losing key players at at uh, key times. Um, a lot of problems around people in rapid growth.
0: You know. Uh... One thing I see as both a symptom and an inhibitor when it comes to companies being in rapid growth mode is a distinction that is not always clearly made between activity versus action. And when I think of activity, I think of meetings about having meetings and retreats and and detailed business plans and having everything go through four committees of review and not trying any process until the task flow has been run through all these Venn charts and whatever the hell you call them, before you actually go out and try something. Part of the work that I do with companies in this mode is I help them design processes in project management systems, one of which is teamwork. And working with whoever I work with there will set we'll set up task lists and project lists and things like that and have them say okay so let's say there's a project list for how you get a blog post onto the website and syndicate it them the process we create all the dependencies the the cross functionalities and everything and just let them run with it then i hear back a few days later maybe a week later and they say it directly or i find out about a month later the process is being ignored and i inquire why And the response is always the same. They say, well, your process doesn't work and it doesn't make sense. And I'll say, really, really, what's wrong with the process? Well, um, you know, you have these 12 steps and uh, this one is kind of out of order and this person doesn't actually do this, but it should be this other person. I said, great, good to know. So let's modify that. The difference between that scenario I just described versus 14 layers of peer review and charts and everything else is if you waited for the process to be perfect, you never would have posted a damn blog post. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So rapid growth means you structure and organize it as best you can. But everybody understands you're putting it out there and you're going to try and make it work. And if you find on round one that there are modifications you can make to make it better on round two, well, doggone it, you go back and do it.
1: Right. Uh, you never let perfection be the enemy of done. You know, it's yes. like uh, Steve Jobs always said, just ship it, you know, <laughs> get it out and, and we'll fix it later. You know, if, if getting feedback from from team members or, or from clients or customers uh, is, is often the best way to quickly iterate and and solve small problems. You don't want to put out something that's going to be so bad that you just, you know, it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to, or, or you, you know, get negative feedback to the point of, of having to, you know, close your doors or getting blacklisted in your right. industry or something. But, but I mean, you know, get something that's good enough, um, especially internal processes. I mean, good oh, yeah. goodness, communicate. You have to talk to each other. Um, this is one thing that, that I find is so common. Um, and it, it has to do a, a, a bit with, with internal culture. It has to do a bit with um, difference in, in behavioral styles. Um, but, you know, really it, it boils down to communication problems tend to be um, ar- around processes or, or feedback um, tend to be because of, of poor leadership or, or a, a failure to um, explain the the freedom that that employees have to approach their their managers or or um, leaders, and it's it's crazy to see that you like you mentioned in your example earlier. You know, you could have a a, a process put in place that is sitting there not being used for a month because you know there's maybe uh, something out of order or there's there's something that's you know in um, you know assigned to the wrong person. Well. You know, all you would need to do is just as soon as you see that process, just tell somebody and then you can fix it and start using the process and, and you start working out those kinks. But a lot of times there's this culture of, well, I'll get in trouble if I complain about something or if I nitpick this, or, you know, maybe the boss's ego is too fragile. And if I, you know, point this out, then, you know, I'm going to get in trouble because it's like, I'm insinuating he doesn't know what he's doing or, Uh or you know, you, you run into these problems that it's, it's all people focused. It's, it's all around how people interact and the relationships that they have, whether that's, you know, generally there's no difference between a, a relationship between two people in business and a relationship between two people out of business. If there's something expected of one of the people, it's just, uh, you know, we're all people regardless of whether we're in a business-type environment or, or outside of it. Um, yeah, it's it just boils down to that.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And another thing that comes to mind, that's a great list you gave of areas you can look at for how you can make rapid growth happen more efficiently and effectively, stop what's getting in the way of it, is I had a situation many, many years ago in a job that I had and uh i was i i was a direct report to somebody who was at director level and somebody some other director from some other department just came out of nowhere and went to my director and complained that i was getting uppity now first of all yes i knew even then that could be implied racism so you don't use the word uppity number one but what to me was also equally just unbelievable And my supervisor told me about this, and he was actually laughing as he explained it to me. He said that this person had instructed him that I was to be aware of my position on the org chart and how I was at the very bottom of it before I dared open my mouth about anything. And if it ever came to a point where somebody who outranked me on the org charts said the earth was flat and I argued that the earth was round, that not only were they right and I was wrong, but I owed them a written apology for, for arguing with them. (laughs) Oh man. Meanwhile, meanwhile, they never said what I actually said or did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There, 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 there's a fun, and I've shared this on so many other episodes. I'll share this with you too. About three years after I left that job, I was in a bagel shop one morning, I was actually uh, heading to a client meeting. And the same person who had said all this stuff to my supervisor, recognized me in the the bagel shop and he walked up to me saying, Oh, Adam, is that you? How are you? And I I just stood up, held up my hand as if to say pause. I said, excuse me you will refer to me as Mr. Homie or sir. I am a CEO and I'm a president. There is only one person in your organization who's at my level who gets to call me by my first name. Now you will show me that respect and note that you are just a director and just wait for him to walk away. Sometimes the empire strikes back. And the reason I share this story, including my vocal intonations, is because I wanna raise the point, Ryan, and I wanna see your thoughts on this, Ashley, because this is something that I think about, obviously, is when you have cultures, the rate a person's ability to have competence to tell the truth, to be factual, or really even to breathe air, Based on their position on an org chart and their, and their classification per an HR form, how do you get past that? Because you're not going to have much rapid growth when people are looking over their shoulders afraid that they might offend somebody by saying the earth is round.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's that's definitely a problem. Um, you know, often if there's a, a, a problem like that in, in leadership where it's, it's generally stemming from just major insecurities or something personal in their past. Um, and, and people like that rarely look into executive coaching or, or something that would actually help them and their organization. Right. So, um, best thing really for that is, is to fire that person and, and get somebody uh, with some level of of confidence that actually cares about other people. But, um, yeah. but if you're looking at it, you know, you have to be strategic in how you phrase things and be political and stroke the egos and everything, you know, then, then you can go in and um, I'm a, a certified customer experience professional and, and in the, the CX world, there's, there's a, uh, a focus on um, gathering customer data from the uh, the frontline employees. So, so people on the bottom of the org chart that, you know, generally are just nobodies. They're, you know, like the cashiers at, at Walmart or something. Well, these are the people that are dealing with your valuable customers all day. And these are the right. people that get a lot more real-life data from these interactions that you can go and you can sit down and pick their brain and, and get real customer experience information and you can you know, notice glaring problems in your, your processes or, or the way that your store is organized or, or you know, whatever type of business you have. Generally, the people that are, that are facing the clients or customers the most tend to be at the bottom of the org chart, but tend to have the most valuable information. Um, and really, you couldn't run your business without that bottom part of the, the org chart. So they may be the most, quote-unquote, replaceable in uh, in the organization, but they, uh, they also tend to be the reason that you have client or customer retention. Um, you know, so if you treat them better, you know, consistency in uh, employees is... In any business where you have that interaction between customer and, and employee, you have front-facing um, employees. I generally refer people to, to coffee shop analogies here. The, the biggest impact on customer loyalty um, is people and the, the experience that these customers or, or clients have with specific people tends to be what keeps them coming back so as long as yeah. they have all their their you know social motivators um satisfied you know they're they're certain and and uh, they feel like they have enough autonomy to you know handle things uh, the way that they want to and and uh, you know they they feel like their their status is um you know on par with their internal concept of that it, it just as long as all of the boxes are checked, really a good interaction with a a client or customer facing person can just make somebody's day and keep them coming back. Even if it's just one. Um, and having, having the opinion or, or insight of, of that person that's making the customer's day, um, is really valuable, but also making sure that they feel safe and secure in their job they feel valued enough Mm -hmm. that they're going to be positive and care about the customer Uh, a person really struggles with caring about others if they feel unsafe or if they feel uh, that their needs are not met Uh, it's just kind of a Maslow's hierarchy, you you have to focus on yourself and make sure that all of your needs are met before you can really focus on caring about others. But if you feel safe and secure, if you feel valued, and, and all of your needs are met, you kind of just naturally tend to start focusing outward, how can I help others? What can I do to serve? And if you're treating your, you know, bottom of the org chart, in a way that they have all of those needs met, they feel empowered, they feel valued, they'll tend to treat people in a way that that you know they feel cared about, they feel helped, they feel valued Great. as well as, as customers and clients. And and um, really, it's easy to tear an organization apart from the inside if everyone feels unsafe. If, if yep. the bottom of the org chart slips out from under you, um, you're gonna topple.
0: Let me just uh, put it this way. Uh, Number one, if I'm running a retail establishment, I'm thinking my cashiers are kind of important because they're the ones that get the money in. I mean, yeah, I I have marketing. I have people set up the shelves. I have this, that, and the other thing. But the money actually gets handed over to my cashier one way or another. So yeah, I probably am gonna be a little bit interested in their input on how to efficiently get the money that I need in my business so that we can be profitable and have these people continue to work. And if we wanna get into how we treat, say for example, the administrative assistant personnel in our organizations, uh, the ones who tend to get reminded how low they are in the org chart, you know, Ryan, I think you're going to know what I'm talking about, and I don't want to belabor this because we have a half hour left and you have so much more to share. But I think you um, are familiar that there are about 100 different ways where without actually doing anything provably wrong or even by engaging in something known as malicious compliance, your administrative staff can basically make your life a living
1: hell. <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> yeah, you know definitely. yeah,
0: you know what I'm talking about, right? We don't have to get into it, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh-huh. So uh when you and I were speaking earlier, you made a reference to a framework. So what's that about?
1: Yeah, so um basically there are there are kind of four areas that I I tend to notice um real problems in in growth, um problems or or real impact. Um, those areas are, are strategy, um, they are uh, customer understanding, um, advertising strategy, and um, culture or, or lifestyle and environment, um, just the way that things feel and, and um, naturally unfold in uh, the relationships in the office. and um, Generally, any problem that I've seen in rapid growth that is going to prevent long-term growth, it tends to fall under one of these categories. And so uh, the framework that I've I've put together is, uh, is, um, it's called the scale smart framework. And it's essentially um, just addressing all of these areas individually, um, depending on what is the most priority critical and, uh, and branching out from there. So, you know, maybe we'll look at marketing strategy, generally Inc 5,000, marketing strategy is not going to be the biggest problem. But, uh, you know, do you have diversification uh, in your marketing channels? Do you have a, a long term marketing strategy, in addition to your short term, you know, PPC focus? Um, I, I did some work with a client that um, had been on the, the Inc 5000 list for several, several years and in a row and, and growing very, very rapidly and um, had no long term um, marketing strategy in place um, had some uh, had a significant ad spend and uh, and very high cost per acquisition that was continuing to increase. Um, but they were trying to solve their problems by throwing more money at the paid ads instead of looking at you know, hey, what what could we do to decrease our cost per acquisition? Um, what new marketing channels can we look at or, or what, uh, what could we do that's going to provide increasing returns over time instead of, you know, consistently decreasing returns over time. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the biggest of their problems, but it was, it was certainly something that needed to be addressed, um, So generally, you know, I'll, I'll go in and if I'm working with a company, I, I want to find out, you know, where the biggest pain is first. And, um, if the, uh, if the leadership that I'm meeting with knows right off the bat, what they want to touch on, um, generally I'll ask some questions and make sure that, that, that tends to feel like the, um, like the biggest problem. Sometimes, um, they don't mention people problems, but they're evident in uh, those early meetings. And so, um, like to focus on a, a discovery engagement to really get in and, and dig down, um, find out what's going on in the company and, and, you know, how everybody feels, uh, in a, a way that they won't necessarily share with others. Um, I like to just be a person with people. Um, and when people feel safe and understood, they, they tend to, to share what's on their heart and what's on their mind. And, um, so you know, if I can kind of get the the truth or the you know candid opinions of people, um, a lot of times you can uncover problems that the leadership didn't necessarily know about that are really more important than you know say what the uh what their uh, you know core values are doing to their you know next five year strategy or whatever so
0: yeah, yeah, certainly, so going along with all of that, uh, What? why do companies really need this? Because we may have some listeners right now who are thinking, well, we have an open culture. We can speak openly. Nobody has fear. We get it out there and we tackle things head on. And I found that the more companies say that, the less they do it. And it's usually the person who's the biggest inhibitor that says it's the loudest. So that's my thought on why companies need this framework, but you know, for anybody listening out there who's thinking about taking up on this, what else should they know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you definitely bring up a, a
0: really good point. This is something
1: that, that people definitely need to be mindful of, um, especially business owners. Um, you know, if someone, if someone works for you, they're going to want to maintain the best possible relationship with you. And a lot of times that's going to mean that they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to get close to you. They don't want to share their, their fears or concerns or anything with you because you're giving them money and they want to keep getting that money. So, you know, I, what you mentioned is, is dead on in in so many situations. Um, I worked for a company that had, um, a very strong culture focus and and they were you know hiring for culture and they they were um, you know touting the culture in all of their their meetings and and um, they they were saying one thing but another was being portrayed in the day-to-day interactions and and some elements of the culture they were touting was was dead on but but some others were were kind of you know maybe case by case basis, and so some people might get in trouble for for some things, and then others you know might be able to get away with it because they've been with the company longer. they fit in a little better and and um, you know what ended up happening is that no one was really talking to the leadership about these about these problems and um, so you know in in the end, a lot of people ended up getting um, stepped on or pushed out of the way. Ah, uh, in the name of culture, when they really were, you know, not even sure what the culture needed to to be, because what was being said and what was being done didn't align. There, there was no authenticity there. So, um, you know, as as leaders, it really I think is important that you're in communication with your employees with the, the frontline employees, um, you know, the the mid-level managers and the, the C-suite executives and anybody in your company. You need to have some face time with all of the levels at some point. Um, you know, don't spend all your time talking to all of the people, but, but get a feel for how the people in your company interact. Let them know that you care about them and, um, you know, communicate Communicate, communicate. It can't be stated enough. You you have yeah. to you have to be open and not not necessarily just open in in what you're willing to share, but open in what you're willing to to hear. And if the employees don't feel like they can tell you, you know, the the bad and the ugly along with the good, then you're never really gonna get a, a true picture of of how things look in your business. And I think that it's important to, to really set up processes around this so that there's consistent focus on meeting with people from all different levels and, and sharing, um, really reiterating what the culture should look like using observable behaviors um, you know, if you have like a four words, that you know, basically lay out what your culture is supposed to look like, well, you know, maybe those four words are all have relative meanings based on people's backgrounds. So, you know, say you, you want people to be transparent. Um, well, you know, if you're not explaining what transparent needs to look like, then, you know, you can't get onto somebody for telling a, a client that they were having a bad day, or that, you know, they're, talking about something that you don't want the employee or, you know, the, the customers to know because you told them to be transparent and you didn't give yeah. them any sort of guidelines. So um, it's really important to, to be communicative in, in several ways, but, but very clear in in what you want people's behavior to look like. If you want your culture to be well-designed and, and structured in a way that is going to lead to, I mean, somewhat predictable results.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think what you raise is is very important. And this is why the structure and the framework are so important, is we sometimes do need a step-by-step process to make sure, or rather step-by-step or defined or something we can all go back to, to make sure that we have those open channels of communication or can open the channels of communication if we're starting to notice or feel that the, they're getting stuck and that's getting in a way of rapid growth I have found mm-hmm. myself that there'll be cases where i I'll say this to clients I'll say it to people who work for me I'll say it to people I work for i'll I'll say look really really um I appreciate your faith in my intelligence to figure stuff out but i really am um, not looking to i'm really not seeing where exerting my brain for guessing games is going to help so just spell it out for me yeah and i think and I, and I think i think with a framework you can sometimes have some of those just spell it out for you type moments another tactic and this is something i do with my consulting clients is we have among our agreements and understandings that there's something that's known as a challenge question what that means is at any time one of us simply has to say i have a challenge question here and that indicates that pretty much anything that the other person needs to ask for clarity or anything that they need to contribute towards the greater success of whatever is being worked worked on is entirely fair game so even though there's a culture of, you know, we don't get stuck with egos or, or, or how we carefully walk on eggshells and things like that. It just Mm. sets a mind frame of snap. Okay. Now we're going to focus in, we're going to look at what we're doing and we may make a discovery here. So pay attention. That's all it means.
1: Yeah. Yep. I love that. Just something that, that, lets people know like hey regardless of of how you feel or any fears or concerns you have i'm looking for open feedback here i'm looking for you to challenge this idea Uh, you know is there any way that i could be off my rocker a mile and a half or even just you know slightly wrong on something what would you do differently um you know just getting one person running a company is, is not a business, you know, it's, you've got uh, somebody that's self-employed or a a solopreneur. So if you've got, you know, a a dictator in the CEO position, you know, you basically just have a solopreneur with a bunch of slaves around him um, and you're really not going to get a whole lot of consistent long-term growth in that kind of fear-based environment.
0: Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So uh, carrying this a little bit further, what's keeping people from figuring this out on their own other than the cliche of why would we hire a consultant?
1: Yeah, I mean, generally, you've got people walking around in the woods and they can't see the fact that there's a forest. Uh, You know, can't see the forest for the trees. It's, it's, again, cliche. Um, But generally, if you're in your if you're in your own boat, you can't see the, the holes on the bottom. You know, you, you can't always, you you get too close to something and you get bogged down in the day to day. And sometimes you need that high level view to just show you what otherwise would be obvious. You know, generally if you're meeting with someone and, and, I mean, me, you know, I'll, I'll talk to people. I've, I've got some good friends. I was, I was having lunch with today that every now and then they'll, they'll ask me a question like, well, you know, have you considered this? And it's just a facepalm moment. Oh man. (laughs) Well, you know, like this is what I do for a living, but it's my own business. You know, I, am all wrapped up in the day to day. And, um, there's a lot of just really simple things that I don't always consider. So, um, you get cliches like the cobbler's children have no shoes for a reason. Um,
0: right. Yeah, I think, I think that's, and we've covered through some of our earlier conversation, how if you're in the tunnel looking out at the light, that's a far different view from being in the light looking into the tunnel.
1: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, hindsight is is twenty twenty, but, you know, hindsight when it's, um, you know, losing a, a $50 million business is, you know, maybe a little more painful than hindsight of, um, you know, oh, well, yeah, we, we had a, a less profit. But, you know, now we can move forward, um, you know, with some outside help or, or we can shift our approach to make sure that next year is profitable again.
0: Right. Precisely. Now, who is this framework, in your experience, going to work best for?
1: Well, generally, I see it working best with those that have a little more humility Um, it's not, again, it's easy word to throw around, um, easy word to, to feel like you've got it nailed down, you know, with, uh, a lot of leaders feel that they're a, um, you know, a servant leader or someone that really cares about their people, but, um, it can be really challenging, um, to, to take a lot of the steps that are necessary to, to have a long-term business, um you know, things are changing quite a bit in the, in the way that people want to be treated and, and the way that, um, that business is done. Um, it just, it's shifting in a, in a way that can be really challenging to, to keep up with if you want to continue to, to focus on, uh, on making money and it's, it, it can almost be counterproductive. So, or, uh, counterintuitive. So the, the, the people that this is going to work best for are the ones that are really open to um, not necessarily new ideas, but looking at things differently um, in, in really empowering their team and listening to the ideas of their team, um, but, but making sure that they're very clear on, on what they want in their business and making sure that they have a, uh, a clear idea of, of how the leadership should be um, together in in one accord, um, and and how they should be interacting with the uh, the employees. Um, you know, sometimes it requires a big shift in strategy, um, just overall business strategy, and and sometimes it it requires um, you know a, a minor shift in in marketing and messaging. Um, you know, it generally the best. The best type of, of results are going to come from those that are that are open, and that that really care. They're doing well, but they want to do better, and they want to do better not so that they can get more money, but so that they can serve their customers better, their clients better, and so that their employees have a, a better company to work at, and and they're proud to run a company that that cares. Um, those tend to to be the companies that get the best results out of this.
0: Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right about that. Now we've covered uh, most of the items that you originally shared with me in the green room that you wanted us to go over, but there's a couple other things I'd like to get into because we have just a couple extra minutes here and see if we can help some of our listeners understand even more importantly, why this, this whole work is so important for them. So as far as you know, rapid growth and long-term success, what we often find in long-term or rather rapid growth mode is that costs start to get out of control because rapid growth is usually when you start to see the revenue really flow in and you go from the, the the famine to a little bit of a feast and next thing you know, you're starting to hemorrhage a little bit of cash. So how can we strike the balance in your estimation as a business growth expert between being in a position where you're able to start investing more and having a process for doing it in an effective way versus throwing money at things because, and I remember this from back in my days and being involved in e-learning back when we used to call it e-learning and there's this cartoon. He used to show up at almost every PowerPoint presentation. Everybody did on the topic of e-learning and it showed a corporate executive, uh, uh, or maybe it was a cFO meeting with the director of training, and the CFO said, You know what i don 't know what knee learning is, but if our competition has one, buy two of them
1: <laughs> yeah
0: so how do we, how do we stop that from happening, but at the same time uh, allow that money to flow in such a way that it benefits the business
1: yeah, a great question that's that 's a big problem definitely and and I mean really, to get down to the the human element involved there. Um, a lot of times it's a pride issue. Um, you know, you've got the, the leader sitting on top of the world, making more money than they've ever made before yep. and just saying, you know what, just throw some money at it. We'll fix it. Um, you know, great analogy I like to point to is, is the Lord of the Rings. You know, Peter Jackson was on a short budget, making The Fellowship of the Ring, and it was uh, just phenomenal movie. And as it continued to go and get a little bit more money here and there, they were still on a tight budget for The, the Lord of the Rings, each, each of the movies. So they had to be resourceful. They had to be creative um, and kind of scrappy. And um, so they had all of these great practical effects. And they they ended up in in the the midst of making the movies, um, creating a lot of, of um, innovations that changed the industry around um, digital, like CGI and and um, the Weta Workshop and, and Weta Digital. And yeah. and so um, when they made The Hobbit, if you look at the, the behind the scenes comparisons of the the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, um, the way that they solved almost every problem with the Hobbit was, well, just, you know, do CGI. It's more expensive, but just throw, throw some money at it. Whereas before they didn't have that luxury. And so they used a decent bit of CGI in the Lord of the Rings. Um, but in the Hobbit, um, a lot of people tended to complain that there was less real meat to it. They, they couldn't, it didn't resonate as strongly because it just, there was too much CGI. It was too, too fantasy. And there are some other things too, but, but the analogy um, fits, I think really well that as, as you grow um, you tend to have more money. You feel like it's easier to solve problems because you have more money and you just throw money at it. So, you know, the company I mentioned earlier, well, if we put, you know, another 20% spend in, we'll get another 20%, um, you know, lead boost. Well, that's not the way it works. And, you you know, if, if you look at money as the end-all be-all of solving your problems, you're missing the whole point. You you have this team of people around you that are creative, that are resourceful, that are, you know, often highly intelligent. And they, they helped get you to this point with means that didn't involve just throwing more money at it. So, you know, maybe lean on the the creativity and the resources that you have and um again kind of i I touched on this toward the beginning of our talk um have a filter for your initiatives um you know your your strategy should be very limiting and um keep most of the ideas um for you know you can even apply it to to how you solve problems um you know have a, a relatively limited budget that you can apply to solving these problems and If you were forced to be creative and resourceful, then generally you're going to find a solution that's not hyper expensive and that, you know, at the end of the year, you can look back and be grateful that you didn't spend all that extra money on solving this problem over here because then, you know, lo and behold, there's this surprise problem that pops up, you know, in Q4 that um, it's just, it's better to be thrifty even when you have that extra money to spend if you can be.
0: Well, yeah, and once you get to a certain level, you do have to invest more because now you 're playing at a at a different level and that, and that makes a lot of sense, like you now have more leads and more marketing activities, so maybe you need an actual CRM instead of just uh, an autoresponder. Maybe you uh, are handling a lot of social media activity and you're actually getting sales or inquiries through your social media so you need something more than just an automated software to post stuff so little things like that happen here's where i've and again 16 17 years being one way or another in entrepreneurship here's something i've seen a lot uh and i still see it to a degree this day let's say ryan you and i were um uh let's say you uh and i were sitting down and we were brainstorming, like sort of like we're doing right now. And we come up with this business idea. So then imagine there's actually three of us here. And there's a third person who's in our conversation. So the third person says, all right, guys, I think it's a great idea. I'll get the domain name. And so then the third person will go to their assistant and say, I need you to please reserve this domain name. And uh, make sure to get all the .com, info, org, TV. Uh, we can't have anybody get this. We need the maximum privacy protection and the business registration and the partridge and the pear tree. And before you know it, you're paying 250 freaking dollars to register an idea. Yeah. Multiply, and, and when, when you have your creatives, multiply that by 10. And next thing you know, you're spending $2,500 a year on not only stuff that would just some random ID, you've probably even forgotten why you did it in the first place, but let's see, privacy protection with one of the few, in my opinion, really good things about GDPR is it changed how who is information can be displayed, which except for certain situations, largely removed the need for privacy protection. And then business registration You know, nobody's been able to explain to me, not even GoDaddy, what the hell a business registration actually is.
1: Oh yeah, that's where they uh, they register you with all of their
0: third party sellers, so that you can get phone calls from nice people that want your money. That's I thought that's basically what it was, and I've noticed that with the GoDaddy upsells, they're now just leaning heavily on, oh, you're going to do a WordPress website? We have WordPress hosting, and it's on cPanel and everything. So at least they're uh, pushing aggressive upsells or moving in a forward instead of a sideways directions. So, yeah, because I noticed that uh, especially after GDPR, the the uh, the uh, the constant pounding on the table of you must have privacy protection, you must have business registration sort of disappeared. And then if you have some random idea called, um, you know, cat on a shelf.com, like elf on a shelf, but it's going to be your cat instead. uh, You don't need like 29 different domain extensions because you don't have to also get the Bulgarian and the Romanian and the Transnistrian versions of it. Uh, Usually, .com will do the job. So just by being smart about, yeah, I want to reserve CatOnTheShelf.com because I really think we're going to do that this year. You can go from $250 to $9 just by being smart about it. Oh, yeah.
1: And, and realize your priorities, too, because, you know, as if this ends up being an idea that you run with and and you really want to put a lot of, of time and effort into it and it grows, then, you know, you just buy the other domains later. And, and a lot right. of times you'll have to do that at auction if it's a really big idea that other people are picking up on. But, um, you know, even dropping a, a few grand for a premium domain, you know, at, at auction is going to be a better deal than you know, dropping 250 bucks a year or 2,500 bucks a year or whatever at the very beginning when you're not even sure if it's going to, you know, get any traction.
0: Exactly. And I know, and I know two people that paid over $3,000. Um, one of them, I can actually tell you, his name is David Newman, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the do it guy. Uh, he's uh, been a friend of mine for 15 years. In fact, I used to do some work for him, the do it marketing guy, David Newman. And yeah. There are a lot of other David Newmans out there, a couple of whom happen to be composers. Well, Mm -hmm. one day somebody came to my friend David Newman and said, hey, would you like to have DavidNewman.com? I got it for you. It's only $3,500. Well, he grabbed that thing with both hands. Mm -hmm. that's where it's worth it to spend $3,500. When you have a name like David Newman, it's actually a fairly common name and you can actually get hold of the dot-com version of that. So if you want to run SCM on your own name and you have a common name, that's like manna from heaven. You go for that.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so I just wanted to share those things, a couple examples of how to look at costs since we had a little bit of extra time. And our listeners, you know, you can apply that thinking however you need to, to be smart about your money when you're in rapid growth mode. So Ryan, we're near the top of the hour here, and I know that some of our listeners are getting pretty interested in this, leaning in a little bit. So if you could, I'll turn the floor over to you for a moment. Anybody wants to take the next step or wants to discover more, uh, what do you have for them today?
1: Yeah, well I mean I'm I'm pretty approachable. I like to chat with people and uh if you want to reach out um Ryan at com. It's K I N G L Y. Probably be in the show notes so yep. um yeah, just reach out to me. i happy to answer any questions people have happy to, you know, set up a call as long as, you know, there's some sort of, um, agenda in mind. And, um, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, Hey, let's, uh, let's talk for five hours about whatever and I'll get free consulting. So, yeah. um, but, uh, but yeah, happy to meet new people and have conversations and see if I can help out in any way.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, let me just, uh, you know, reiterate your website one more time. It's kingly, K-I-N-G-L-Y consulting.com. Fairly easy to remember. And Ryan Baker of Kingly Consulting. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a blast. It's been an honor. It's been an education.
1: Thanks, Adam. Back at you.
0: All right. And for everybody listening, we trust that you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And until next time, have a great day. Take care.